Well, good morning, everybody. Someone thought it would be funny and left candy corn up here for me. So uh, <laughs> if you listened last week, you'll know the connection there. Trash. Hey, welcome to The Journey, whether this is your first time here or you've been with us many times. Thanks for those of you who came out in the rain to be in the building today, and thanks for all of you that are online with us this morning. Uh, as I get started, maybe you remember the old um, Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck stuff. So I, I thought, because it fits so well with the topic today, we're going to begin with that idea, okay? So I'm going to share with you some, um, some things about a couple of political parties based on that. So, so here's the first one. You might be a Republican, right? You might be a Republican if you named your kids Deduction 1 and Deduction 2, okay? Could be. You might be a Republican if you don't think the Simpsons are all that funny, but that Flanders guy, man, he kind of makes sense to you a little bit. And you might be a Republican if you once broke loose at a party and removed your necktie, all right? So uh, some of you are like, yeah, I think that sounds about right. But we're not going to leave the Democrats out, so let's talk about the Democrats just for, for a second. You might be a Democrat if you've ever said, we really should call the ACLU about this. You might be a Democrat if you'd rather own Birkenstock than Merck stock. And you might be a Democrat if you actually expect to collect Social Security. Apparently those aren't very funny, all right? But um, uh, here's what we're hoping that you're thinking about. As you, you hear that, more than likely you're making assumptions, you're judging or prejudging other groups of people based on that. And some of what you just hear, heard, you're like, well, yeah, that actually is that group of people. That is that political party. See, all of us make assumptions of some sort in our life. And we make assumptions about other people. And really, here's what assumptions are. Assumptions are judgments of others. And so I could set up here today and I could throw out a candidate's name. I could throw out a political party. I could throw out some organization. I could talk about some college. I could talk about some football team. And I'm going to make no reference to this terrible game that's happened today between the Cowboys and the Washington football team because, ugh. But anyway, um, I could throw out any of that kind of stuff. And here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to prejudge those individuals, those organizations that think differently than we do. And in fact, when we disagree with them, we pass even harsher judgments than any other time. So where am I when it comes to crossing the line and judging others without knowing them? You and I, we have strong opinions. We have strong beliefs, but so do other people. They have strong opinions. They have strong beliefs, strong views. And so we have to be careful. Am I prejudging them? Am I making judgment, passing judgment on them based on this idea that I disagree with where they're coming from? And so today we're going to spend our time talking about that as we continue our series called Separation of Church and Hate. Now, as we began the series last week, we talked about being civil. Can we be civil? Can we have civil conversations with other people that we disagree with? And there was a question I asked last week, and I said, we're going to ask this every single week. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Now, we could also add in there your social media filter, your preference filter, your opinion filter. But, but the whole idea is, can I follow Jesus first and then put all that other stuff on, on behind that? Can I follow Jesus first and then be a Democrat? Can I follow Jesus first and then be a Republican or an independent or a libertarian? Am I able to do just that? Can I follow Jesus first? Can I put my faith filter ahead of my political filter? Because when we begin to put that into action and we actually live that out, it will change how we act and how we respond to others that we disagree with. 
And so again, last week we talked about being civil to those we disagree with. This week we're going to talk about dignity. Hey, can we show dignity to people who are made in the image of God just like us, even when we disagree with them? How do we treat them even though that disagreement may be there? Today, as we get started, we're going to be looking at a passage out of Acts chapter 10. In fact, we're going to be in Acts 10, 11 and Galatians. All this kind of fits together, so you just have to stay with me a little bit. But this passage we're looking at this morning, we have, um, it's about 10 years after the resurrection of, of Jesus. And, and up until that time, the Jewish people thought Jesus was just for them. They thought, here's the Messiah, he's come, and some of us are following him. And so we're Jewish, and our Jewish faith, our Jewish traditions, our Jewish teachings, they're all more important than following Jesus. That's kind of the secondary piece to it. So they're, they're Jewish Christians, and in their minds, again, Christ was only for the Jewish people. They hadn't even thought about what does this look like to take this to other people. So here in where we're going to be looking at today, we find a guy named Peter. Uh, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his main followers, in fact, a, a very close friend of, of Jesus's. He has this dream, and it comes from God, and God's like, hey, Peter, you, you, you know all those, those foods that um, you always want to eat, but you can't, like uh, bacon, uh, like, like ham, like lobster? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, you, you can eat those now. You know, you, you used to be taught that you couldn't eat those, but, but now you, you can eat these animals. This, this Jewish tradition that's always been there, I'm, I'm moving beyond that. And so we're going to look at this passage in Acts 10, starting with verse 13, because God interacts with Peter and he says this. He says, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. So, so here's God who, who comes to, to Peter again and says, hey, those animals we told you you couldn't touch, those animals you were told you couldn't kill, those animals you told, we told you couldn't eat, you can eat those. You, you can have pigs in a blanket now. You, you can have that shrimp. You can eat all these things. Many of us would be like, well, you just got to go to Golden Corral and you get all those at one shot, right? You get everything. Here's what it says in verse 14. It says, no, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. This is perfect Peter, isn't it? Here's Peter who's arguing with God. He's kind of like, hey, God, that's baloney. And some of you get that a little bit later. But he's like, that's baloney. I've always been a good Jewish boy. I've always followed the teachings. I've always followed the culture of the Jewish people. I know what's impure. I know what's unclean. And I've been doing this my whole life. Why do I want to give this up now? And here was God's response in verse 15. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Can you imagine Peter's confusion? Again, he's not 15 years old. He's quite a bit older now. He's probably in his 30s, maybe pushing 40. But his whole life he's been taught one thing. He's learned one thing. He knew that certain foods were off limits. And now here's God who says, hey, go and eat these foods. Forget those traditions. Forget those teachings. Forget that past that you've always learned. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to touch and I want you to kill and I want you to eat these foods because I got something bigger for you. Understand this, though. God's request, it's not about food. God's request is about people. At the same time that this is happening in Peter's life, as he's having this vision, he's having this conversation, this argument with God, God sends this angel to a guy named Cornelius' home. Cornelius is a, a Gentile. Uh, so he is very different than, than Peter. Peter is a Jew. Cornelius is a Gentile. And God tells Cornelius, I need you to go find this guy named Peter. 
If you know a little bit about the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews absolutely hated the Gentiles, especially the Roman soldiers. And Cornelius was a Roman soldier, but they absolutely hated the Gentiles. In today's time, we would call this racism. And it was very blatant in this time period, but especially the Jews towards these Gentiles. But, but God says, hey, Cornelius, go and find Peter because Peter's got something to tell you. So Peter has a knock on the door at this house he's staying in. These three guys are there and they, they come from Cornelius' home and they're like, hey, come with us, Peter. Uh, we're going to take you to Cornelius because God has sent us here. And Peter's had this vision like, well, God's talked to me too. And so Peter does what God calls him to do. He goes to Cornelius' home. Now, this is something new he's been asked to do, not only just to eat this food that he's been told he's not supposed to eat, but, but now he can actually go into a Gentile home, which, again, was against the Jewish traditions and teachings at that time. Peter gets there, and here's what happens. Verse 27. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. So Peter shows up. He, he goes inside. There's a bunch of people in there, and they're not there to, like, sing him happy birthday or wish him well. Here's Peter, this Jewish man who's now this follower of Jesus too, a guy who's never had any kind of pork and no, no kind of lobster. He's in Cornelius's home with this group of, of Gentiles. And it's not just Cornelius that's there. His whole family's there. He's got close friends there. There's probably other Roman soldiers that are there with him. So put yourself in the Peter's sandals at that point and Think about the emotions that are going on within him. Like, what am I doing here? I mean, why am I with this group of, of people? I kind of imagine his palms are getting sweaty, his throat's starting to tighten up a little bit. He's, he's probably breaking out, getting a little fidgety because he's with this group of people that honestly, he probably doesn't really want to be with. Again, he's a Jew and these people are Gentiles. And the very first words out of his mouth are honestly, they're kind of offensive. Here's what Peter says in the beginning of verse 28. He says, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. I mean, he's uncomfortable, right? And his first words are kind of like, whoa, this is bringing up the tension that's already here. Here's Peter who's still kind of holding on tight to his beliefs, his teachings, what he grew up with. And he's kind of like, hey, we, we don't hang out with your kind. I'm not even supposed to be here. I shouldn't even be in your home. I'm not even, I'm not even supposed to associate with you. I think as we read that, we see that the Peter's political filter, because when you're Jewish, your political, your religious, your social filter, they were all the same. There wasn't any difference there. And so his, his political filter was ahead of his, his faith filter. It was ahead of his, his Jesus filter. But yeah, here, here's God who's calling Peter to put his faith filter in front of that political filter that he has. Here, here's what it says in verse 28, or the rest of verse 28. It says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Really, up until probably a day or so before, Peter's like, I considered you impure. I considered you unclean because of what I had learned, because of what I've been taught, because of my political views, because of the prejudiceness that I have deep down inside of me. And I thought you were impure and you were an unclean group. But then Peter says this in verse 35. He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. 
In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. Peter's ability to go back to the teachings and the time he spent with Jesus and, and to listen and to, to remember back to what he had been taught and, and then understanding what God's love really looked like and what it meant. That, that here's Peter with this strange group of people in this strange place and he's trusting God. Again, you have to understand, this was revolutionary in that time and in that place. But Peter's there, he's been sent, he goes there. And what does he do? He tells Cornelius, he tells his family, he tells his friends about Jesus. Now, if you know a little bit about Cornelius, you know he says he was God-fearing, but he wasn't quite a Jesus follower. And so Peter shows up and begins to describe and talk about his time with Jesus, these teachings that Jesus gave. And so for the very first time, we see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus reaches beyond the Jewish faith. And Cornelius, his family, they're like, man, we, we're all in. And in that moment, they were all baptized. And here is the very first time, 10 years after Jesus resurrected, that we see that the story of Jesus, the faith of Jesus is spread beyond the Jewish faith. Uh, again, uh, for Jewish Christians who thought Jesus was just for them, this was a, this was a huge deal. Now, this is the part of the story where we'd usually say that they lived happily ever after, right? But that's not quite the way things turned out in this story. Because look what happens to Peter when he gets back to Jerusalem. We're going to move on to Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It says, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Peter's back in town. Knowing Peter, um, probably puffed out his chest a little bit. I'm, I'm sure he's, he's pretty pumped about what has just happened there with Cornelius and his family. So he's telling the story. He's telling about how God used him and how he shared the faith of Jesus. And that was kind of strange. But now these people were following Jesus. But there's a problem. You remember that group of people that had their political filter ahead of their faith filter, the, those Jewish Christians or so they thought? They hear what happened there with Cornelius and his family and they come out and they begin to criticize Peter for what is going on. They're kind of the old school group here. That doesn't mean they were older. It just means they, they're still holding true to their Jewish faith and their Jewish traditions. They haven't fully given themselves over to who Jesus is. And in that time, if you became a follower of Jesus and you were a Gentile, as we began to see that was happening, you had to actually go back and follow a lot of the Jewish traditions and laws, which meant if you were a male who was a Gentile, who wanted to be a follower of Jesus, one of your first steps wasn't baptism, it was circumcision. <laughs> hey, you wanna follow Jesus? I know you're 45 years old. I got one thing you've really gotta do before you can do that. Um, that's a lot of pressure there, right? But people were doing it because they were like, we want to follow Jesus. We love the story. And so you see the, the, the political filter is still really, really strong in that culture. But why do they respond this way? Why, why do they go to Peter and why do they criticize him for, for what he's doing? It's their prejudices. It's their assumptions. They're prejudging this, this group of people. 
And they're saying, hey, you're going to be Jews first and then you're going to be a Christian after that. You follow Christ after you follow our traditions and our rules and our laws. The political filter was still stronger than the faith filter. If we fast forward a little bit in our story with Peter, uh, the news of Jesus has spread into this place called Antioch. And um, Antioch was very much like the D.C. area, multicultural, a very diverse place, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And again, Peter's changed back. Look at Galatians. We're going to move into Galatians chapter 2. And this all connects. Sometimes we think you just kind of read something in Scripture like, okay, this fits here because this is the book of Acts. And then this fits here because this is Galatians. They all kind of inter, inter, intermingle. They, they intertwine, if you will. And so sometimes we read something in Scripture in Acts or, or some other place. And there's a piece of that we find in one of these letters that we can bring back like, hey, this connects here. And so we, we find this here. A guy named Paul. Paul's a follower of Jesus. He'd been, grown up a Pharisee. He'd grown up a, a Jewish guy. I mean, he... He followed all the rules, all the laws. In fact, he made sure everybody else did this. But he, he has this interaction with Peter because Peter is starting to bother him because Peter has changed back to who he was before. Galatians 2, starting with verse 11, says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Again, to be a follower of Christ, you had to take on the Jewish traditions and laws and rules. And here is, is James, who's really the lead pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. We talked about him a little bit last week, who sends this contingent into Antioch to see what's going on. And, and they get there and they find out again that here's what's going on. We've got these Jewish people who are followers of Christ who are actually talking to Gentiles, interacting with Gentiles. They're, they're not living the way that they should. And they show up and they intimidate Peter. They intimidate Peter and he begins to change his ways back to his old ways. Verse 12, he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter's been eating bacon. He's been enjoying those pork chops. He, he's been chowing down on lobster. But this group comes in, they criticize him, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't want this. I, I don't want to feel this, this tension that's here. And, and maybe a part of it is kind of read in between the lines. Maybe, maybe Peter's one of those people pleasers, kind of like many of us. Like, oh, this is what they want. Okay, I'm going to kind of follow in their tradition and, and what they believe. I'm going to go back to who I, who I was before. So Peter's completely changed back to who he was before. His political filter has become more important than his faith filter. He's intimidated. He's afraid. He stops hanging out with the Gentiles. He stops eating with the Gentiles. And Paul jumps in and confronts Peter on this. And here's what Paul tells, says in verse 14. It says, When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you... A Jew by birth have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile. Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Again, Paul jumps in and tells Peter, Peter, you had this incredible vision. Peter, you're the guy that really started moving us from, from thinking that this was just a part of the Jewish faith, that, that now we could reach out into the world, that we could connect with Gentiles, that, that we could spread the gospel to so many other people. But now you've reverted back to who you were before. You, you've grabbed onto those traditions again. You've grabbed onto those old teachings. Whoa, Peter, what's going on here? 
you know who you are and, and who God created you to be, but you've changed back. You've become who you were in the past. It's like you're prejudging them again. You're making assumptions about the Gentiles. And if we can be honest, I mean, we see racism showing its ugly head here in the story of Peter. Paul reminds Peter, your political filter is once again greater than your Jesus filter. And then Paul shares these words, which I think are some of the most powerful we find in Scripture. It comes out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So much in, in these two statements right here. I mean, the first thing it says, it says, you're no longer Jew or Gentile. I've already talked about this. The Jews hated the Gentiles. In fact, some of the traditions were that if a Gentile entered your home, you were supposed to burn it down because they were unclean, because they were impure. And you basically start over. What is Paul addressing here? Racism. And then Paul says, you're no longer slave or free. This is revolutionary language for people in, in this time. Uh, this was part of Jesus's upside down kingdom. We, we talked about this this summer. Now we read this and we think in the slavery context, right? Well, this is very different than American slavery. American slavery was based on your skin color. The slavery that we find right here is about rich versus poor. So, so let's say that you had a mortgage with somebody and you owed them money and you missed a payment or two. Um, what they would do is they would come after you and they would take your wife and they would take your kids and then you would become their slave. And until they were done with you, you would work for them until you were able to pay off your debt or maybe they just kept you in that position. So here's Peter, or excuse me, here's Paul and he's addressing classism. And then Peter says, there's no longer male or female. In the ancient world, women were considered property. Uh, women had very little value in that culture. Jesus shows up and totally changes that idea. He, he changes that in his teachings. He, he changes that in the relationships that he has with other people. So there's a new value system here. There's a new kingdom that's at hand. And so here's Paul who says, hey, women and men have the same value. Women and men have the same standing. They have the same dignity. Anyone who ever tells you that Christianity is in place to keep women down have never taken the time to read scripture fully and have never taken the time to understand the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus came to do. And here's Paul saying, hey, look, this isn't about sexism, right? He's addressing sexism here. So here's Paul, he's talking about racism and classism and sexism. And in the end, he says these words, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every race, every culture, men and women, rich and poor, that when we follow Jesus, we are all equal under Jesus. Revolutionary, disruptive to that culture, to those teachings, to those, those, those traditions. And Paul's reminding the readers of this letter that this is why Jesus came. And so again, that question is there. Are you more driven by your faith filter or your political filter? Or, or are we like Peter? Do we become blind to our prejudices? And what can help us to finally see? 
Well, today I want to leave you with two steps that I think are so important to help us move beyond this so that we can show dignity to people we disagree with. Or or let's just even take that a little bit farther. People that we may be different than. Just like we see here with, with Peter and what's happened to him in his life. Here's the first one. Identify your prejudices. None of us think we're prejudiced. None of us do. None of us think that we make assumptions about other people. None of us think that we prejudge other people. Let me throw out some terms and, and I don't want you to tell me, but I just want you to think in your own mind what comes to mind when you hear these certain things. Uh, for instance, if I say rich people, some of you are thinking snobs. If I say poor people, some of you are thinking lazy. If I say millennials, you're thinking, oh, they complain all the time. If I say boomers, you're like, oh, they only watch Fox News. If I say Gen Xers, We got our stuff together, guys, right? Gen Xers, we're good to go. We're slackers, right? Isn't that what they tell us? But I I can keep going here, and and here's the deal. We all prejudge other people, specifically people that are different than us and people we disagree with. So look at this this politically, okay? If I throw out the, the name Republicans, you're prejudging based on where you believe there, what what kind of party you lean towards. If I say Democrats, guess what? You're prejudging and making assumptions about that group if, if they're different than you. This has become a big topic recently. What if I said white male evangelicals? Oh, you, you're making prejudgments right now in your mind about what that looks like and who those people are. What if I said black lives matter? What if I said all lives matter? Hey, you're automatically prejudging groups of people based on how you feel towards that group of people. And yet we know very little about them. We make assumptions about people. We, we prejudge people. We're prejudiced toward them because we, we look at them. We're like, oh, you disagree with me. You don't think like I do. Your views and opinions are different than mine. Then, whoa, you know, you know what? Then I'm not going to show you much dignity. You're not worth a lot to me. And yet that's not what we're taught in Scripture. How many people do you prejudge every day due to your political beliefs? I could throw out topics like abortion and same-sex marriage and immigration and taxes, and you've got an opinion on that. You've got a belief about that. But instead of having a conversation, instead of trying to learn and understand from people we disagree with, we judge them. We, We pass judgment. We make assumptions. And again, we show very little dignity. Let me tell you what prejudice is. It's not always the presence of hatred as much as the absence of love. Uh, That's what prejudice is. I mean, hatred may be there, but it's not really that as much as the absence of love. And so when we are prejudiced towards others, when we make assumptions, when we prejudge them, it shows that we don't respect them. It shows that we have little dignity towards these individuals who are created just like us. We're created, all of us, in the image of God. And we've kind of stripped all that away and said, because you're different, because you disagree, hey, I'm not going to respect you and I'm not going to show you the dignity, dignity that you deserve as a fellow human being who is created by God. We have to identify the prejudices that we have. And we're called to unconditional love, which re- leads us to the second one. And that's intentionally build bridges. Peter lived his, way, lived his life a certain way before, followed the Jewish traditions, uh, did everything he was supposed to do, followed the teachings. And yet God shows up, Jesus shows up in his life and totally wipes that away. 
And before he reverted back to some of his bad habits, his, before his political filter became more important than his faith filter, um, Peter took the steps that you needed to take to build these bridges. Just changing your mind and your mindset and, and your beliefs, um, that, that's important, but their behavior has to change too. And so Peter takes those steps and goes to Cornelius' home and and begins the spread of the gospel to these people who at that point in time knew very little about who Jesus was. Are we taking the necessary steps to do just that too? We, we can identify our prejudices, but are we building intentional bridges with those that are different than us? Here at The Journey, our, our idea or who we wanna be is a church that's not insulated in this place, okay? The Jewish people were very homogeneous. They, they were all very much alike. We don't want to be that way. There are too many churches that are that way. We want to be in the community. We want to be for the community. Uh, that's why we named our arm of our mission group here the um, Love Nova. We want to love Nova. We want to love Northern Virginia. We want to love this community with everything that we have. And, and we've been doing that. And we've done that through our food distribution events. We had another one this past week. Um, we do that through our interaction with the schools and the government coming to us and like, hey, we, we'd love to work with you in this particular area, our summer lunch bunch program. We wanna be that kind of church. Some of you want us to be a political church. You want us to stand up on a Sunday morning like, hey, here's who you should vote for. This is the party you should be a part of. Here are the issues that should be important to you. You want us to be this political church. Others of you want us to be a current event church. You know, every time something happens, you want us to jump on board and like, hey, you got to preach about this. You got to talk about this. This is a big deal. And, and it's like every single week, 52 weeks a year, we could talk about a different subject. And, and so you want us to be a political church. You want us to be a current event church. And one of the things that I have said is that our focus as a church is Jesus. There's nothing else. We're going to always focus on Jesus. Now, we may at some point in time bring certain subjects into to our conversation because of what is happening, but like we're doing now with faith and politics, but our focus always wants to be on Jesus. And here's why. When we allow Jesus to be first, when our faith filter is more important than our political filter, our current event filter, our preference filter, our opinion filter, when it's greater than that, and we allow Jesus to be first, I said this last week, it gives us the opportunity to influence our community. And that's who we wanna be. We wanna be a church who influences this community because then that opens up the opportunities to have conversations with people in our community about who Jesus is and maybe to help them take their next step with Jesus as we're taking our next steps with Jesus. We can alienate or we can influence. And the only way we influence is when Jesus is our focus. And when we have that unconditional love, what, that, what does that allow us to do? It allows us to build those intentional bridges. That, that instead of building walls, we're building bridges. Now, how does that fit for you and me personally? Are, are, you, are you building bridges with people in your life that you disagree with? Or are you building walls? Jesus came to knock those walls down. Jesus came to say, hey, racism, sexism, classism, all these things. I came to break those down. I'm here to build bridges so that you can have those conversations, so that you can be civil with people you disagree with, so that you can show dignity to people who my father created, just like you. Are you building bridges or are you building walls? You know, we are called, or we can disagree politically, but we are called to love 
unconditionally. And when we do that, when our faith filter is more important than our political filter, we show the dignity that people so deserve, no matter how different they may be and no matter how much we may disagree with them. I love what Paul writes in Galatians 2, right after he confronts Peter. He says, in Galatians 2.20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And when that's the case, kind of going back to the song that the band sang at the very beginning, it talks about standing up for your rights. Here's your right as a follower of Jesus. What you should be standing up for is dignity for all humanity. That we are doing all we can to show that love that's unconditional, that, that God has shown us through Christ Jesus, that we show that to those who are different than us, who think different than, than, differently than us, who, who may be different than us, who we disagree with. But we're called to love them unconditionally and to show them dignity. Maybe this week you spend the time identifying what those prejudices are in your life. And then you begin to intentionally build bridges between you and those you disagree with, especially in the culture and the time we're in right now. But then we show them the dignity they so deserve. And in the end, we let Jesus lead us, which means we love unconditionally those that we do disagree with, that we can be civil and we can show dignity and we can put our faith filter always ahead of our political filter. Let's pray. God, I know that this uh, passage today and this story that we focused on says so much about so many different areas in our life um, that, that maybe today this talks to our uh, struggles with racism because I, I know that, that, that many of us, we still prejudge people based on their ethnicity, based on their color. And as, as Gary said earlier, man, it's, so amazing to be a part of a church that's so diverse. So God, I pray that we always make you first so we can keep that away from us. And when it comes to classism, God, that yes, there's rich and there's poor, but whether we're rich or poor, that if we're followers of Christ, we're in this together and we're to love all people, <clears throat> even, <clears throat> even our economics are different. And God, when it comes to sexism, we, we are focused on, on who we all are as humanity created in your image. God, Everybody deserves dignity. Even those people we fully disagree with, even those people who irritate us and, and maybe there's questions of character and integrity, but God, we're not called to hate. We're not called to be prejudiced. We're not called to make assumptions. We're called to love. And so I pray, God, we can do just that. Change us, Lord, through our faith in Christ as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.